0: Lord, thank You for the grace that has been given. Lord, thank You for the sacrifice that You have made. And we thank You, Lord, for the transformation that can occur when we call out to You, Jesus, our Savior. We pray this morning that You would open the eyes of our hearts. Let us receive from Your Word. And may our hearts be transformed and molded into the image of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Philippians. As a matter of fact, we'll be there for the next several weeks. And I encourage you to be reading through the book of Philippians, particularly the first chapter. And as we read through Philippians, I think there are many things that we can glean and learn about how to live out our faith. If I had to give you one theme for the book of Philippians, it would be this it would be the centrality of. Of Christ. Uh, it has been said that the process of joy or the substance of joy is this. It's Jesus and you with zero in between. In this book, we see the word Christ used 37 times, uh, love used 26 times, rejoice or joy used 17 times, as well as mind and perseverance used quite frequently as well. As we look at the book of Philippians, it's interesting Uh, to consider the background and how Philippians even came about. Uh, We know that Paul wrote the book of Philippians. It addresses that issue right up front. But it was also a letter that was written in prison, along probably with Colossians and Philemonians, and probably even Ephesians as well. And as Paul is writing this letter, he has good reason to think that this may be the last letter that he writes to the Philippian church. So what is it that he's going to communicate to the Philippian church? Well, we'll see here in just a moment. Philippian is a very strategic, strategic church, very important church. It's the first mission church, so to speak, in what we know as modern Europe today. It was in Philippi, which was the chief city of Macedonia. And Paul receives a vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he receives this vision back in Acts chapter 16, uh, he begins to prepare to go to Macedonia, and he goes into Philippi. Now, Philippi is a thriving Roman colony. There are no taxes there. Uh, many of those who have retired out of the Roman military have gone there, and it is a just bustling, happening city at this point in history. And Paul goes there and establishes the first Christian church. A matter of fact, he establishes it with a group of women. He, when he goes into a city, typically he'd go to a synagogue, but for a city to have a synagogue, they had to have at least 10 Jewish men or 10 practicing uh, Jewish men, and this city didn't have it. So he goes to the river, which would sometimes be where believers would meet on the Sabbath, and when he gets to the river, he meets a lady named Lydia, along with several others. Lydia hears the word we, hear, we know from Acts chapter 16, and she receives it. Uh, she receives Christ, and really, Philippi started with a group of women, and a group of women who were praying and worshiping, and they hear the revealed word of God. Uh, they were Jews. They were, matter of fact, most of them were converted Gentiles into Judaism, and they were hear the word of Paul, and they received Christ. And this is where the church of Philippi actually starts. And Paul uses it and acknowledges it. It's probably uh, his favorite church, so to speak. Uh, he certainly has a strong affection for the church uh, of Philippi. And it's a model church in many regards, particularly financially. It is an extremely giving church. We see that in Roma, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 1 and then again in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Paul encourages the church of Philippi and talks about how they have faithfully contributed and given to him. Uh, and, and it also defines what real biblical fellowship is. And how we can understand a little bit more effectively the problem of pain and suffering. Paul certainly meets those criteria. And it it kind of made me think of this week. I received a call on Tuesday that one of our members had been in a very serious accident. And uh, it was uh, expected to be uh, quite bad. And so uh, he was in Oklahoma City. He and another one of our members uh, were, were coming back. Uh, from a trip they had been on, and uh, they were actually on motorcycles, and uh, a car had pulled into him on the highway going 55 miles an hour, had hit him. And so I, I get that message, and one of our other ministers took off and went on up there, and I ended up coming up later. And when we got there, uh, it was it was a time of joy because it wasn't nearly as bad as we had anticipated. We weren't sure that he was going to, to live, uh, but he had several broken bones and, and obviously was in pain, uh, but he was alive and. After a while, after being there a few hours, he came to and began to talk to us and expressed a spirit of thanksgiving and of joy. If there was one word I could use for what we're talking about today, it's that of partnership. Partnership. That was a great picture of partnership as the church gathered around, as his small group gathered around him, went to Oklahoma City and helped him walk through that time and even brought him back home as of yesterday. But it was also a great picture of seeing joy in the circumstances of realizing what could have been not, hey, how bad it is right now, but how much worse it could have been and giving thanks for God's protection. I think Paul understands that spirit as he writes here in the book of Philippians. Let's begin in chapter one, verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So we know Paul and Timothy are are the authors of this book. Primarily, Paul, of course. Timothy was his disciple, and it uses the word servants of Christ Jesus. Now, the correct Greek word here would actually be that of bond servant. Bond servant. Now, what is a bond servant? We see the term servant used multiple times throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament to a degree. But what does it mean to be a bond servant? Well, a bond servant is is this uh, in the ancient time of which. Paul would have been writing, if you had a debt you simply could not pay, you could sell yourself into temporary slavery, if you want to call that, or servitude, in which the other person owned you for a period of years. Now, usually it was around seven years. Sometimes it could be less. Uh, it could be less than that, depending on what the debt was and how much the debt uh, was, uh, that, how, how big a debt that you owed. But at the end of that time, you had the choice that you could walk away as a free man if you would like to. But you could also choose if you thought, you know, uh, the guy that I'm working for right now, uh, I, have, I don't have to worry about where I live. I don't have to worry about food. My family's taken care of. And I can pretty much erase uh, the, the situation that I was in by simply just staying as his servant. And that would be known as a bond servant. You make a bond with that master, so to speak, with that, uh, with that person that you will serve them the rest of their life, and, and uh, in return they will care for you and your family will be provided for. So Paul uses that picture, he uses that analogy to say, that's what I am with Christ. I have chosen to enslave myself, so to speak, to serve Him for the rest of my life, and I am in that commitment with Him. So Paul calls himself a bondservant. I have served one that I owe, and I am now willingly choosing to serve him for the remainder of my life. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, that word saints is simply a term for all those who are believers, all those who are of the faith, together with the overseers and the deacons. Now, the overseers, that word is sometimes used uh, in the sense of elders, it's when you see those terms overseer, elder; those are synonymous. Uh, the Gentile episkopos, would be an elder when it's used in that term, and in the Greek, uh, the Jew, the Jews would use the term, or in the Jewish expression, it would be used as an overseer. So it's the same word, just used in a different manner. So overseer, elder are synonymous terms, and those are course; those of course are people who have been charged with the spiritual oversight of the church. Uh, That's the type of church government we have here at Rock Point, and obviously that's what was existing here in Philippi as well. So he says, to the overseers and the deacons. Well, what's the difference between an overseer and a deacon? If the overseers or the elders are responsible for the spiritual well-being of the church, what is the purpose of the deacon? Well, let's go back and look at what the original purpose was. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts Chapter six verse one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Chapter six, verse one. The Bible says in those days the number of the disciples was increasing, and the Grecian Jews came and and, and complained against the Hebraic Jews because of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the problem is uh, the some of the uh some of the widows are not being provided for Uh, adequately with food, uh, those who are in great need. And so the twelve, speaking of the twelve, the disciples gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who you know to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So we see here originally deacons, the purpose of deacons, diaconos, another word for servant, was to take care of the widows and to serve the food at this point. So uh, that's what we see given to us right here as we continue in chapter 1, verse 2 of the book of Philippians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Notice you will always see grace. Grace comes first, and then peace. The grace of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the free gift that God has offered us through the person of Jesus Christ, that is the gift of grace. We must experience grace before we can experience peace. Now, peace, a very simple definition, and it has a much richer meaning than this, but to be in right standing with God, to be at peace before God. Grace Then peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul positively expresses his gratitude and his thanksgiving to the Philippian church. In all my prayers for for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's that word joy right there. Because of your partnership. There's our word right there. Partnership. In the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Partnership. What does it mean for us to be in partnership with Jesus? What does it mean to be in partnership for the cause of Christ? Well, first of all, we see uh, Paul... Making mention of prayers. I remember you in in all my prayers. We know prayer is an essential aspect of being in partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our commitment to God and God's commitment to us demands that we participate and that we are men and women of prayer. Now, that's easy to say. Sometimes we simply say, you know, I'll pray for you. I'll be praying about that. I've been praying this, been praying that. And sometimes it's just stuff that we just kind of mindlessly throw out. But what does it mean really to pray? Well, first of all, we know this. It means to come before God with a clean heart and a pure motive. The Bible tells us in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I have cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Is it possible for us to pray in a manner that is not clean, not pure, not right, of which God simply doesn't even hear, one that's simply self-centered? I'll give you a a pretty um, over-the-top example. There's a guy named Ken Bruner. matter of fact, this just happened about six weeks ago. And he prayed, before he did this certain job, he prayed that God would protect him and the men who were performing this job and that he would be successful. And they interviewed him. He said, you know, I I spent some time praying about this and then things didn't go well. So I'm not sure what happened. Problem was, is Ken Bruner uh, held up a jewelry store. okay? but he said he spent that morning in prayer asking for God's protection and provision. Now, there's a great example of I'm so self-centered, I'm missing the trees for the forest. You know what I mean? We laugh, but sometimes we can find ourselves just as self-centered. Can I tell you this? God will never honor sin. We pray all we want to, but if it causes the detriment of someone else, God's not going to answer that prayer. And I don't even believe God hears that prayer. I think God is thinking, are you kidding me? Have, have you lost it there? But Ken was raised in church and felt like he needed God's blessing uh, before he did this. Secondly, the importance of faith of faith in our prayer. We see how Paul demonstrated his faith. We see how he exercised faith in the Philippian church. What does faith mean? It means praying in a manner of which I take action according to God's will. You've heard me quote this a hundred times. If I've made any quote, it's this one from Oswald Chambers. Faith is this. It's doing everything I honestly and ethically can and trusting God with the rest. So real faith in prayer is, God, I begin to pray according to your glory. I begin to pray for this one who's fallen away, for my children, for my husband, for my financial need, whatever it is, and I begin to work in that manner. I begin to work alone with God as I pray. So in other words, I don't just say, God, you take care of it. I'll see you later. God, you didn't come through. It means I'm partnering with God, honestly and ethically, according to His riches and glory, and asking God to meet that request. We also see the importance of praying according to God's will. The Bible tells us in 1 John five fourteen, this confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. The Bible tells us in Philippians four 19, we'll see in just a few chapters, for my God shall meet all your needs according to His riches and glory, through Christ Jesus. So when we pray, we come with a clean heart. We come in a spirit of faith, praying according to God's will, in a positive attitude, in a positive manner. We see in verse 3 and 4, I thank God every time I remember You in all my prayers. I always pray with joy because of Your partnership. I pray in a positive spirit, in a spirit of joy And I pray in a personal manner. It says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Praying personally. You know, when we pray, particularly when we're alone, I think at any time, but particularly when we're alone, We know we have problems in our prayer life if we're still trying to pray in King James when it's just, you know, when it's just me and God. When I'm still trying to use words that I would never use with anybody else in the world. When I wouldn't talk to my wife, my husband, I'm thinking, thou father, who art? And we start using, and let me say, it's okay to read prayer sometimes. I do that sometimes. It's okay to study prayers. But when you come to that place where you really have an issue that you really want God to work in your life, being personal with Him telling Him what you feel, forgetting about the grammar and forgetting about the accent, and just pouring your heart out to God. I mean, how would you like it if your children said, Oh, about mother, I wish that thine would grant me this request. I mean, when we come, we just laugh at them, you know what I mean? Because we recognize you're not being real with me. You're just reciting something that's not coming from the heart. When we come to God Almighty, hey, I'm not, God's not really so concerned about your, how much theology you know and how many Bible verses you've memorized as much as He's concerned about your heart. Now those things are important, don't get me wrong, but when we pray, God just wants to hear from the inner recesses of our heart what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and God, where I am. He knows, but it is so affirming for us to know that He hears and He knows as we come and make our petitions to Him. So we see the importance of prayer. Partnership demands prayer, but partnership also demands participation. We see here that Paul speaks of how they have partnered with him. That's primarily talking about finances, how they have financially partnered with him. We know that also from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, when he makes mention of how they have financially supported him, how they've taken care of him. So we see that partnership is giving And of course, it is also service, participating in the gospel, partnering with Christ in the gospel. And we also see a spirit of perseverance spoken of in verse 6 and 7. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work, the beginning, the salvation experience, will carry you through your life onto the completion of that day. As we persevere, as we Continue to follow and to trust, and then we see God's commitment to us. We see if you had to, uh, if I had to pick one verse that defines Paul's mission and purpose in life, it's Philippians one twenty-one. It's this: "But to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But for me to live is Christ. It's about His glory. It's about Him. It's about shining the light on Jesus. It's about bringing Him." to the front. It's about giving Him glory. And as I live that life, all that I desire will be gained in heaven. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It is the purpose And the promise that He has given, as we just read in verse 6 here, that He will be faithful. He who began a good work in you will carry you. He will be faithful. He will carry you. He will take you. Does that mean life will be easy? Does that mean everything will always be as I expected? Absolutely not. But as He has begun it, He will carry us through the valleys, through the shadow of darkness, through the difficult times, through the times of which we wonder if God is even there sometimes, He will be faithful to carry us through those times so that we might be and so that we are partakers of grace. Your translation might use that very word in verse 7, partakers of grace. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my hearts for whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. It's a unifying spirit of grace. We've all experienced the grace of salvation, everyone who's called upon the name of the Lord. We've all experienced the same grace, and that is God's commitment to us. If we will call out to Him, if we will receive Him, we will receive the grace and forgiveness that is offered. Now, the early church fathers used three words that described how we grow spiritually. And I want to give you those three words. And really, you can see them described throughout the book of Philippians. The first one is this. It's the purgative. It's the purgative state. Now, purgative simply means this. It's when we come to Christ and we begin to purge ourselves of sin. When we begin to notice there are certain things that hinder our development in the faith. There are things that bring guilt upon our mind and our spirit. There are things that just hinder us from really growing in the faith. That's the purgative. We come into that recognition that once I've trusted Christ, there are certain things in my life, quite frankly, that need to change. And through the Spirit of God, God, I'm going to begin to purge these things. It doesn't mean that you become perfect. It doesn't mean that you can completely deal with everything, but you begin to recognize and you begin to deal with, you begin that process through the Spirit of God. From there, we begin in what they called the illuminative, okay? The illuminative. Now, we've heard the wisdom and the truth of God's Word, and we've come to salvation, and maybe we, you've found yourself trying to deal with certain sins, but it's essential in the next state that we begin to not only purge, but begin to illuminate, begin to let the Word of God in, be instilled within our mind and to refresh our spirits, and to begin to let the Spirit illuminate us through the Word of God. So we have the purgative, and then we have the illuminative, and then the third state is the unitive. Now, a lot of times when we hear that word unitive, we think, well, we're going to all be in this together, and Paul certainly talks about that. He certainly gives uh, that attitude. But unitive is much richer than that. The unitive is this. We really unite with Christ when we go through sufferings and struggles. Paul's writing from a prison right now. He's writing as one who doesn't know that he will ever see those in whom he is writing, the Philippian church. And as he's writing this, he's united with them because Paul has suffered in so many different ways. We know in uh, Acts chapter 16, as he uh, comes to the church, that they beat him with rods because he basically uh, delivered a demon out of this this young girl who was able to tell for the fortunes for her masters, And they get mad and they have some political clout, and so Paul gets beat with rods. And, uh, and then he makes them aware, of course, that he's a Roman citizen and And they get a little bit nervous at that point. But nevertheless, we see how Paul has united in a spirit of suffering. Here he is in prison. Others will be in prison. Some have already suffered through prison. He's lost financially. Uh, He's had a significant loss financially from where he was as a a, uh, Jewish authority. And now he's been ostracized. He's certainly not receiving a paycheck there anymore. And now he's dependent on small little churches to help him make his way. He's dependent upon people he never knew. Matter of fact, people he started off trying to exterminate. And here's Paul. So he's been humbled in job position, financially, physically, emotionally, in every manner you can think of. Here's the Apostle Paul. But yet he is. Become part of the Spirit of Christ. You see that. You see the Spirit of Christ, you see the mind of Christ, and then you see the unity of Christ. We often unite with our fellow man and our fellow believers in struggle, don't we? And Paul certainly understood that. You know, last Sunday, as we were finishing up the service, there was a guy who came to me. His name was George, and George accepted christ about two years ago here uh, i'll never forget the story one of our counselors here in our church began to see him and said uh, here's part of what i want you to do i want you to go to church i know you don't really have a faith i know that you don't really believe in christ and those kind of things but he said i just want to encourage you you need to you need to change your mindset so he encouraged him to come so he started coming he came a few times and then one sunday he grabbed me after the service he said i want to talk to you so we began to talk and we just happened to have something called dinner with the pastor that night so why don't you come tonight and we'll talk some more we began to visit there, and that night he trusted Christ. And uh, one of our men began to disciple him, and uh, then our our counselor began to work with him, and a couple other men began to invest in his life. And as he was leaving here uh, last week, he said, I just want you to know, I came one man, and I'm leaving as a different man. I came as a man who sought only to make money and completely self-centered. I leave as one who follows Christ. This has changed my life, and thank you for the people who... Invested in me. You know what that was? That was partnership. Partnership. It wasn't just one person, there were several. Here's my question to you this morning How are you partnering with Christ for the sake of the gospel today? How are you partnering with Christ for the sake of the gospel today? Let's take a moment and pray. If you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to partner in that manner by coming and receiving of his grace and his forgiveness. If you have trusted Christ, I invite you to partner with our church through service, through mission, uh, through uh, multiple ways that you can serve. There are multiple people serving right now in the back, uh, helping to influence and encourage young minds. We'd love to give you that opportunity. There are multiple ways you can serve, and uh, there are also ways you can serve in your community as you give your life away for the cause of Christ But I ask you, how are you partnering with Christ today for the glory of God? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to know you and to worship you. And I pray, Lord, for any that don't know you today, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. We give you this time in the name of Jesus. Amen.